All glorious to the assembled All glorious to the assembled All glorious to the assembled All glorious to Sri Guru and Garanga. All glorious to Srila Prabhupada and Vishnu Krishna Prasthaya Bhutalashri Mati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Nisinyamane Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pracharani Devase Sasanyavani Paskatyavi Satyavi Vande Ham Shri Guru Shri Uttal Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavam Cha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam Bhitam Sam Sajiva Sadvoitam Sadvudutam Parijana Sagita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Shri Radha Krishna Panam Sahagana Raghunatam Shri Vishakam Bhitam Cha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya February 18th, 2014, in Durban, South Africa. We're reading from Canto 1, <coughs> Chapter 6, Conversations Between Narada and Vyas, Text 26. Namanyatantasya hatachapapatan Guyani badrani kritani chasmaran. Guyani badrani kritani chasmaran. Gampartatam, gampayatams to stamanagatas praha. Gampayatams to stamanagatas praha. Kalam pratiksham vimado vimatsara. Kalam pratiksham vimado Namani The holy name, fame, etc. The Anantasya of the unlimited. Hatatrapaha, being freed from all formalities of the material world. Patan, by recitation, repeated reading, etc. Guyani, mysterious, Badrani, all benedictory. Kritani, activities, cha, and smaran, constantly remembering, gam, on the earth, haryatan, traveling all through, tustamanaha, fully satisfied, gatasprita, Completely freed from all material desires. Kalam, time. Praktikshan, awaiting. 
Vimada, without being proud, Vimatsadaha, without being envious. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. <coughs> Thus I began chanting the holy name and fame of the Lord by repeated recitation, ignoring all the formalities of the material world. Such chanting and remembering of the transcendental pastimes of the Lord are benedictory. By doing, I traveled all over the earth, fully satisfied, humble, and non-envious. Purport. The life of a sincere devotee of the Lord is thus explained in a nutshell by Narada Muni by his personal example. Such a devotee, after his initiation by the Lord or his bona fide representative, takes very seriously chanting of the glories of the Lord and traveling all over the world so that others may also hear the glories of the Lord. Such devotees have no desire for material gain. They are conducted by one single desire, to go back to Godhead. This awaits them in due course on quitting the material body. Because they have the highest aim of life, going back to Godhead, they are never envious of anyone, nor are they proud of being eligible to go back to Godhead. Their only business is to chant and remember the holy name, fame, and pastimes of the Lord, and according to personal capacity, to distribute the message for others' welfare without motive of material gain. Yaman yan antasya hata chapa patam guyani badrani kritani chasmaram gampar yatam stustam managatas praha kalam pratiksham vimado vimatsara. Thus I began chanting the holy name and fame of the Lord by repeated recitation, ignoring all the formalities of the material world. Such chanting and remembering of the transcendental pastimes of the Lord are benedictory. So doing, I traveled all over the earth, fully satisfied, humble, and non-envious. So here we have tusta manaha. Tusta means satisfaction. Manaha means of the mind. So one is feeling completely satisfied. It reminds us of what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita: "Machchitam agataprana bodhiyantas prasparam katayantas chamam nityam tushanti charamanticha." That those who are always chanting my glories, that they are uh, with each other, talking about my pastimes with each other that they're full of satisfaction, trusta and rama, bliss. So we're all looking for satisfaction. We all, we all want to be satisfied. We all want to feel, okay, I, I have my desires fulfilled. I have what I wanted. I have what I needed. And at the same time, not be bored. <laughs> right? We don't want to be satisfied and be bored. Okay, now I have what I need. Now what's, what's next? Right? In the material world, we're bored but not satisfied. This is the problem. Material enjoyment gets very boring. Prahlad Maharaj says, it's chewing the chewed. It's really all the same thing. It's all just protons, neutrons, and electrons combining in different ways to look like something different. Just like when I visited China, so they like to cook with something called sticky rice. It's a very, very short grain, very glutinous rice. So when you cook it, all the grains stick together. It becomes like kind of a mass. And then they, they cook the sticky rice and then they mold it into different shapes. And sometimes they add different colors in it. And so it looks like it's all different sorts of food, but it's not. It's all exactly the same taste. You know, so you think, oh, this is halva with raisins in it and it's just sticky rice with red beans in it. And you think, oh, this is a cake and then you find that it's sticky rice. And, you know, you, you keep thinking it's all these different things and when you taste it, it's like, oh, this is also sticky rice, this is also sticky rice. So material happiness is like that. It's simply the contact of the senses with their objects. And it's not us. I'm not the body. I'm not these senses. So when the senses contact their objects, it doesn't affect me at all. It's like if I use some sort of machine to pick something up. You know, I'm not touching it. 
or the Bhagavatam talks about a dream. You know, you try to eat food in a dream, you don't feel satisfied. It's just dream food. Have you ever eaten food in a dream? Or drunk water in a dream? Yeah. And you, you're just wondering, I'm drinking water, drinking water, drinking water, I'm not satisfied. So material enjoyment gets boring because it doesn't really touch the self. It doesn't really touch the self. It gets really boring. It's, it's not a genuine experience. And you don't feel satisfied. So you, you get tired of it, but you're not satisfied. You get satiated and bored, but you don't get satisfaction. And people try to find satisfaction in so many different ways, by adjusting the material world this way, that way, the other way. And still there's just no satisfaction. You know, I try this career, that career, this house, that house, living this place, that place, being with this romantic partner, that romantic partner, eating this food, that food, the other thing. And it's still, it's all boring. It's all boring. And it's not satisfying. One never feels satisfied. We even try life after life after life. And still we're not satisfied. We, we, if, we, if we just think honestly for a minute that there's no material happiness that has fully satisfied us. I mean, maybe we feel somewhat satisfied for a very short amount of time. You know, you eat a big pizza and you say, oh, I feel somewhat satisfied for a short amount of time. But even that doesn't make you completely satisfied, does it? Even if you eat a wonderful pizza, can you say, now all my desires are satisfied? Is that possible? No. And then it's temporary. I mean, I've eaten so many pizzas, but I can't taste it now. It's gone. I can remember that I ate the pizza, but I can't. I'm, I'm no longer experiencing So that's not what we want. We want something as here. Narada Muni is fully satisfied. He's fully satisfied. So how is he fully satisfied? Well, we have here the positive and the negative. Positive and the negative. On the positive side, so he's absorbed in Krishna's name, form, qualities, and pastimes, and in, in relishing them, himself and in giving to others. And on the negative side, he's free from pride and envy. He's, and the reason here he doesn't have any material desires is that he's completely satisfied. Sometimes we think that devotees not having any material desires means that they're empty, like Buddhism. You know, I'm just free from material desires, I'm just empty. But no, the devotees, like Narada, they're free from material desires because they're full of Krishna. It's very much like Prabhupada talks about a cup. You know, when you have a cup full of milk, there's no room for ink in the cup. And especially if the cup let's say the cup had a hole at the bottom and you put it over a spring you know? and so there was a spring of water coming to the cup and constantly filling the cup you couldn't put any ink in the cup, could you? just because the cup's constantly overflowing so because Krishna is full this is complete, that is complete from the complete, complete units come you take away the complete from the complete, still the complete remains so Krishna is complete. Everything he manifests is complete. Complete comes from him. You take away the complete from him and still he's complete. He's infinite. When you take the infinite from the infinite, you get infinite. infinite infinity minus infinity is infinity. So when we're connected with the infinity, when we're connected with the infinity, it's like a constant overflow. It's just like being connected with a spring that's constantly overflowing, constantly overflowing. So that means it's very dynamic, which means it's not boring. It's not boring. Krishna's name, fame, qualities, and pastimes are also unlimited. And they're full of unlimited variety. Advaita Machuta Manadi Mananta Rupa. Krishna has unlimited forms. 
and in his its forms are considered like the waves of the ocean. You know, we're here near the ocean. You go to the ocean. How can you count the waves? Just one wave after another, after another, after another, from the beginning till the end of time. So Krishna's different forms are like that. His different activities are like that. And even one of Krishna's activities is full of unlimited happiness and unlimited knowledge and unlimited sweetness. So there's unlimited variety and it's unlimited in quantity. And it keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. So there's no question of a material desire. Why would anybody want something superficial and temporary and not satisfying when you have something unlimited and genuine and satisfying? I mean, nobody would, right? Nobody would. So therefore, as soon as one tastes the unlimited and the satisfying, we give, us our, we give up our interest in the limited and the unsatisfying. So that's why there's no material desires. It's not that. It's not that. First you give up material desires and then you experience Krishna consciousness. But by experiencing Krishna consciousness, you give up material desires. If one thinks, first I, I give up material desires and then I experience Krishna consciousness, that is not pure bhakti. Because what would be the process by which you're giving up material desires? It'd have to be some different process. right? If I say, first I'm going to become pure and then I'm going to become Krishna conscious... That means your process of becoming pure would have to be something other than Krishna consciousness. Is that logical to everybody? So that would be karma misery. Either you'd be doing karma yoga, gyan yoga, or astanga yoga, or you'd be doing some mixture of like karma-covered bhakti or gyan-covered bhakti. But pure bhakti means that, I mean, we have activities and we have knowledge, but we're not thinking that we become purified by activities, by pious activities, or that we become purified by knowledge and detachment. But rather, we become purified by being absorbed in Krishna that being absorbed in Krishna is the means and the end. Those who are already purified are absorbed in Krishna, and those who need to be purified become absorbed in Krishna in order to be purified. Basically, our process of purification is, is connecting, or we're already connected, becoming aware that we're already connected with the unlimited. That is really our process of purification. We don't really have any other process of purification. All the things that we do to connect, to realize that we're connected with the unlimited, our chanting, our hearing, our serving, our preaching. Uh, Their purpose is to realize that we are connected with the unlimited. And when I realize I'm connected with the unlimited and I start relishing the unlimited, then there's this flow that just, that fills me. Yes? There's a flow that just fills us completely. And then what is the question of having any ink? What is the question of having any material desires? The material desires are immediately perceived for what they are. Like here with Narada and Vyas, Vyasadev sees Krishna and he sees Maya. When you see Krishna and Maya side by side, Maya is not interesting. I mean, one still has the capacity to choose Maya. We are free-willed beings. We have the capacity to do things that are foolish. We have that capacity. But generally speaking, as soon as we become filled with Krishna, there's no more material desires. We see the real nature, Prabhupada says, the naked form of material desires. You see, the material desires are superficial. They don't, they don't touch the self. You know, if I could have my own real adventures, why would I want to watch a movie of somebody else having adventures? Does that make sense? Right? People sit around and watch movies of somebody having adventures because their own life is boring. They're just going to work and doing the same thing every day, and it's boring. So they think, well, let me watch a movie about someone having adventures. But if we're actually watching the real adventure in our heart, if we're really like here in Narada, if we're absorbed in Krishna's pastimes, then we, we don't have any interest in being absorbed in the illusion. Why, why, would you? why would you? Why would anybody drink, you know, chemically colored, flavored water 
when you can have real mango juice with a fresh picked mango. Of course, you could still do that. You could still do that. I mean, you have the choice. You can say, no, I'm not going to be interested in the real, like the pig. Probably gives the example all the time. The pig would rather eat stool than halva. So we can, we can choose to do that. It's not that because Krishna is so wonderful, we're forced to be Krishna conscious. But if you had the choice, you know, eating stool and halva, what would you take if, if you're even slightly intelligent? So to be completely filled with the genuine, with the real, the material desires are automatically gone. One does not need to stop material desires independently. In fact, trying to do so simply will not work. It just won't work. You can try it, but it won't work. All that you'll do is substitute one material taste for another. So you'll substitute lust, anger for lust or something like that. You'll just, just switch your material desires. The only way to get rid of material desires is to cultivate spiritual desires. So that's on the positive side. Again, although completely freed from all material desires sounds like a negative, it isn't. It's the result of the positive. So on the positive side... Narada Muni is absorbed in the name-fame qualities and pastimes of the Lord, relishing them himself, giving them to others, and thus he is naturally free from all material desires. Then what's he doing to become fully satisfied on the negative side? So again, Narada Muni's got this full satisfaction that we all want. On the positive side, he's hearing, chanting, he's absorbed in Krishna, in relishing and sharing, which has pushed out all of his material desires. And then on the negative side... He's free from being proud and envious. He's free from being proud and envious. Now, these are things that one has to do. There's, uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, as you probably know, talks about the demons in Krishna Lila as not only being actual historical entities, I don't know if I should say people, but historical entities, but also uh, metaphorically, Indicating different attachments that we have. You're familiar with this? So Bhaktivinoda Kaur is like, this, this demon, Krishna killing this demon, represents the destruction of such and such material attachment. So they were a real demon. Krishna really killed them. It's not like it's some sort of a fable. But still there's some metaphor there. So it's very interesting. The Bhaktivinoda Kaur says that Krishna will kill all these demons for us if we become absorbed in his name, fame, qualities, and pastimes. Just like as I'm saying here, Narada becomes absorbed in Krishna, that automatically drives out the Maya. Just automatically. Don't need to make a separate separate endeavor for that. If we want to get rid of our material desires, we simply absorb ourselves in Krishna. But Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, the demons killed by Balaram, we have to take out ourselves. Those we have to take out by our own endeavor. Palambasura and Danakasura. Balaram represents Guru. Balaram is Guru. Balaram is the Guru principle. And by accepting the Guru principle, by following Guru, by accepting Guru, by becoming a proper disciple, we, by our own endeavor with the help of the Guru, by following the Guru's instructions, we have to get rid of these two demons. These two demons represent passion and ignorance. So that's this pride and envy. Now, Krishna describes the mentality of the, of the demon, the demoniac mentality in the 16th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, this pride and envy. And this pride and envy, this is also Bhaktivedanta Thakur explains, which Prabhupada quotes at the end of the 15th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. This is the root of all of our problems. 
and we have to choose to get rid of it. We have to choose to look at it, we have to choose to acknowledge it, and we have to choose to get rid of it. And in fact, unless we get rid of it, we can't really be filled with Krishna. So giving this analogy of a spring again, you know, I was talking about a cup, but let's make it bigger than a cup. Let's make it like a big basin in the earth. And in the bottom of the basin, there's a spring. Just like if you go to Radhakundrishna and Shamakund, when they clean it every, I think, 20 years, they clean the kunds. They drain all the water, they clean the kunds. And there's another kund all the way at the bottom that has a spring in it, and that's what's filling the kunds. It's being filled by this spring. So if you think of our heart as like this kind of big basin, and at the bottom of it, there's this spring that's our connection with Krishna. That's the way we're connected with Krishna, if you don't mind my little metaphor here. So you just imagine your heart is like this big basin. Right, Thomas Merton, the famous Christian theologian who wrote a wonderful appreciation for Srila Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita, he says we all have a God-shaped vacuum in our heart. So, you know, we have this big emptiness in our heart, this, this dried-up lake bed. And in the bottom of the lake bed, there's a spring. And that, that's where we're connected to Krishna. That's where Krishna is in our heart. But we've got a plug in the in the connection. There's a plug. So even though we're connected, we, we're not experiencing the connection. You follow? It's kind of like you have a machine plugged in, but it's turned off. So it's connected. It's connected, but you can't experience the connection. You know, there's always the jokes about the person who calls the repairman. You know, my television isn't on. My television, have you turned the switch? <laughs> you know, have you turned... <laughs> it actually happens. You know, it, it really happens. The people call the repairman and, you know, they haven't turned on the switch. They haven't turned the on button. So we're connected, but we have, we have this block. And this block is our pride and envy. That's the block. And although Krishna is right there, and the connection is right there, we, we've blocked it. And therefore we can't become filled with Krishna. So this pride and envy, you know, this is the, I talk about this quite a lot, that, that Bhaktivinoda Thakur also, you know, you can tell I like Bhaktivinoda, that Bhaktivinoda Thakur in his Bhajana Rahasya, he compares the Shikshastika to the process of Shraddha to Prema, to the progress of Bhakti from just faith to love. And he equates each verse of the Shikshastika with different levels of advancement. So he equates the third verse, you all know the third verse, right? That one should be lower than the straw in the street or lower than the grass, more tolerant than a tree. One should respect others and not ask for any honor in return. That means free from pride and envy, doesn't it? And that's sort of the expansion. Oh, what does it mean to be pride, be free from pride and envy? Trinata peace and Trinata is the grass. Be lower than the grass. The grass, when you step on it, it pops up. Lower than the grass. You stay down. You don't pop up. You don't defend yourself. You don't defend your ego. If somebody says, you're an idiot, you don't say anything. You did this wrong, you did that wrong, and you didn't do it wrong, but you still don't say anything. You think, well, I do so many other things wrong that nobody blames me for. <laughs> and Krishna gets criticized. Why should I be greater than Krishna? Like this one man at the program yesterday. He said, how can we forgive God? He said, how can we forgive Krishna? We have some four-year-old child and it doesn't get proper medical treatment and it dies. How can we forgive Krishna? Ooh. Yes. So if Krishna gets criticized, then why can't we get criticized? Who are we? So many people are criticizing God. 
unjustly. It's their own karma and they're criticizing God, Jesse. So lower than the grass. That, that means there's no pride. Right? Pride is I'm wonderful, I'm great, I'm always right. Everyone else is always wrong. If anything bad happens to me, I'm an innocent victim. Isn't that what pride is? I'm the best. I never make a mistake. So lower than the grass. No, I, I, whatever you want to say about me is fine. Whatever you want to think about me, it's fine. It's fine because I'm a fallen soul. I rebelled against Krishna and I'm grade A number one idiot. I'd like to tell this story how Prabhupada says if you read through the nine cantos of the Bhagavatam, if you read the Sanskrit, the word for word, the purpose, the, then you'll become a self-realized soul at the end of the nine cantos. So Burjan Prabhu uh, is one of the few people, Burjan and Narayani, I think are the only two people in the world who've taught every verse of the Bhagavatam from first through twelfth canto. So I asked Burjan Prabhu, I was having prasadam with him in Vrindavan some years ago, right after he finished teaching the twelfth canto, it was like a big celebration. And, and I said, so Prabhu, now you've written, written, you know, read, not just read, but studied and taught every verse of the Bhagavatam. Are you a self-realized soul? He said, oh, yes. He said, I have realized I am a fool. <laughs> <laughs> we're all fools. We're all fools. What fool would eat the stool instead of the halva? I mean, that's really foolish. How can you be more foolish than that? I mean, just can't be. Therefore, the acharyas are all saying, nobody's more sinful than me. <clears throat> You know, if you read that, like, technically and think, wait a minute, you know, there's people doing mass rapes and murders and arson, and you didn't do any of those things. So how are you saying nobody's more of a sinner than me? You ever wondered that? And those prayers of the... Have you ever wondered that? Those prayers of the Acharyas when they say, you know, I'm the greatest sinner, and you're like, huh? <laughs> you know, you probably never stole a carrot in your life, and here's somebody else is burning down villages... So how is it that you're the greatest sinner? Because anybody who chooses the stool over the halva is the greatest sinner. You know, it may have this variety or that variety. They're the greatest fool. Anybody who chooses to be empty instead of being filled with Krishna is the greatest fool. Anybody who turns away from the source of our greatest satisfaction and our greatest bliss to go to some empty, superficial, boring illusion is the greatest fool. So what is there? What am I going to defend? What what do I have to be proud of? I don't have to be proud of proud of anything. Oh, I'm proud now. I'm finally becoming a devotee. Well, that's just like normal. Could you imagine if you go to the jail and one of the prisoners says, "Well, I'm really proud that I'm becoming an honest citizen." It's not something to be proud of. Everybody's supposed to be an honest citizen. That's just a given, right? It's not some great accomplishment. I'm an honest citizen. You're supposed to be an honest citizen. So what? And you say, well, now I'm becoming a devotee, and even I haven't become much of a devotee yet. People say to me, Ermila, when did you become a devotee? I don't know. It hasn't happened yet. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about becoming a devotee. I'm trying to become a devotee. I'm going through the motions of becoming a devotee. Becoming a devotee. One time, uh, some, one disciple wrote to Prabhupada some poem where he called himself a Vaishnava, and Prabhupada said, no, being, we could be the servant of a Vaishnava. Being a Vaishnava is not a small thing. So what do we have to be proud of? Nothing. So, Trinata peace in each other. Lower than the grass. Whatever somebody accuses us of, whatever somebody calls us of, that's fine. <laughs> if they knew the real truth of how fallen I am, then this would be a great compliment compared to the actual situation. Right? And then more tolerant than a tree. This is also 
I, I've taught a tree that when the tree is thirsty, it doesn't ask for water, and when the tree is cut, it doesn't complain. Even though the tree has given so much, the tree is giving shade, the tree is giving home. Here you have the, these trees are home to, I think, all the birds in Durban. Oh my God, you have so many birds here. Woo! I was coming last night, I was like, wow. They're having an international convention of the birds to discuss the Kadumba tree in Durban. You know, so you're giving shelter to all these birds and they just, you know, pass stool on you. And you're giving flowers and you're giving fruits and you're giving, you're just giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And then somebody cuts you down and you don't complain. Right? Generally in this world, if I give even a little bit and somebody doesn't appreciate, I complain. What to speak of if I give everything, if I give my body, I give my whole life. <laughs> I remember seeing one time this woman was with her two little children. She was holding one little child in her lap and there was a five-year-old child there. And she said, I mean little, four or five-year-old child. And she said, would you please get me some water? And he's like, no. She said, I carried you in my womb and I fed you my bodily milk and you can't get me a glass of water? <laughs> so it's like that in this. She was really upset. So it's, it's like that in this world. You know, we give people our, our body. We give somebody our body. And still they're not grateful. And then we get so angry. I was talking to one woman last night. I was traveling. I came back. I found out my husband was unfaithful. And I just wish I could. I wish he would rot in hell, you know. <laughs> So we, we give so much and we, we think, oh, now I deserve. But no pride. I don't deserve anything. I give just to please Krishna. I don't give to get anything back. And whether I'm honored or dishonored, whether I have fame or infamy, whether anybody appreciates, whether anybody even says thank you, it doesn't matter because I'm just giving for Krishna. What do I deserve? I don't deserve a thank you even. My thank you is coming from Krishna. So no pride. That's honesty. Honesty is, who am I? I, have no, I don't deserve anything. Whatever good Krishna gave me. Another girl last night said to me, I've lost everything. I said, you're walking. There was another person here in a wheelchair, right? I said, you're walking. I said, you can see, you can hear, you can talk. Your hands work. How have you lost everything? I said, do you have a roof over your head? Yes. Do you have food? Yes. Lost everything. What did you lose? Oh, you know, I can't have a stable relationship. So I've lost everything. Right, so no pride. I don't deserve anything. That means everything I get, I'll feel gratitude for. Whatever I get, I'll feel unlimited gratitude for. When you think you deserve things, then you don't feel grateful for anything, isn't it? You don't even notice it if you think you deserve it. And if you don't think you deserve anything, then whatever bad things come to us, one can be patient. And see it as Krishna's grace. So no pride. Like the tree. And then no envy. Envy is, I want more than everybody else. I want more honor than anybody else. You know, if you're not terribly envious, then you don't mind if other people get some stuff as long as it's less. If you're really envious, you don't want anybody to have anything. You know, the, the terrible dictators of the world who force their underlings to live in, in poverty and deprivation while they're enjoying the, the extreme envy. You know, you think of like Hitler, who wouldn't even send shoes, proper shoes, to his troops in the Russian winter. Unbelievable. That is unbelievable envy. Your own soldiers. You won't properly equip your own soldiers in the Russian winter. Wow. And once Hitler understood that the Allies were going to conquer Germany, 
he ordered that Germany be destroyed. Can you imagine the level, that level of envy. Thankfully for the German people, his generals at that point disobeyed him. But he said, you know, destroy all Germany's bridges. He knew he was going to be defeated. He wasn't, it wasn't a tactic to stop the enemy. He, he, was, he knew it was over. He was doing it because he thought, well, if I can't enjoy Germany, if I can't enjoy Germany, then nobody else can either. Not only can not the Allies enjoy Germany, even the German people aren't going to be allowed to enjoy Germany because I'm going to be defeated. Incredible, incredible envy. So most of us aren't quite that envious. Although I read a story in the news a week or two ago that a husband and wife were splitting up and they were having a bitter custody battle over the child. And so the man took the child to the roof of a building and threw the child off the roof of the building and then jumped off himself. So that is extreme envy. That is extreme envy. If I can't have my son, then you know nobody can have him. I'll kill him. Unbelievable, huh? It's unbelievable envy. Practically beyond conceivability. But most of us more ordinarily envious persons. At least we don't want anyone to have more than me. You know, I don't mind if other people have nice clothes as long as I have nicer clothes. I don't mind if other people have a nice car as long as I have a nicer car. I don't mind if someone has a beautiful wife as long as my wife is more beautiful. I don't mind if other people are smart as long as I'm smarter. That's generally the garden variety envy. I want to be at least a little better than everyone else. I want to have at least a little more happiness than everyone else. You know, I don't even want anyone else to be more advanced in Krishna consciousness than me. I mean, frankly, we, we hear this criticism, oh, there aren't really any pure devotees in ISKCON, there aren't really any event. That's just envy. That's all it is. It's nothing else but that. You know, I'm not advanced, so there can't be anyone else advanced either. And if anyone says they're advanced, then they're Bhakti Saraswati tells the story that Prabhupada repeats how, you know, your, your childhood friend becomes a high court judge and someone comes and says, oh, so-and-so's become a high court judge. Now him? I knew him when he was young. He, no way he could be a high court judge. No, really, I saw him. He was sitting on the bench. He was judging cases. Oh, they must not be paying him. <laughs> right? Uh, so this is envy. And the root of our envy, of course, is envy of God. Ultimately, we're envy of Krishna. Why does he get to be the controller? Why can't I be the controller? Why can't I decide how the world should be run? I would make a much better God than God, at least in my own life. You know, and even religious people, they go to God and they tell him what to do. All right, okay, God, here's my list. Okay, cure my aunt's cancer, and I want to pass the exams, and I don't like the amount of money I have, I want more of it. And my wife hasn't been nice to me for the last year, and make her be nice to me. Right? They have a whole list. As if God doesn't know what he's doing. Right? As if he needs my advice and he needs my direction how to run the universe. I, I want to be the controller. I want to be all-powerful. I was just reading how Maharaj Prithu got all these gifts from the demigods. You know, he got slippers full of mystic power. And I was thinking, well, I'd like some of those. <laughs> So we're, we're thinking like that, you know, that I, I want the power, I want the influence, I want the control, I want all the opulence. Basically, what we're envious of is that Krishna owns Radharani, Krishna owns Lakshmi Devi. That's really ultimately what we're envious of. All opulence. We want all strength, all power, all wealth, all fame, all, and all beauty, and ultimately even all renunciation. We want all the opulences and all the powers 
under our control. We see Vishnu surrounded by like the 16 energy, all these different energies personified, all these different weapons, and that's kind of what we want, that everything is under my control. So because I'm envious of Krishna, therefore I'm envious of everyone. And of course, when you're envious, you can never really be satisfied. We're talking here about satisfaction. When you're proud, you can't be satisfied. Why can't you be satisfied when you're proud? Because when you're proud, you think you deserve everything. Right? You think you deserve everything. I give this example all the time. So you have 100 rand, you go to the shop, you buy something worth 100 rand, how do you feel? Okay. Right? Right? Okay. You have 100 rand, you go to the shop, you buy something, you find that it's only worth 5 rand, how do you feel? Really upset. You have 100 rand, you go to the shop, you buy something, you find that it's worth 1,000 rand. Our happiness is in inverse proportion to our feeling of deserving it. The more we think we deserve something, the less happiness we get out of it. The less we think we deserve something, the more happiness we get out of it. So when a person's proud and they think they deserve everything, when they get what they think they deserve, it doesn't mean anything to them. It's like buying something worth 100 rand for 100 rand. It's nothing. When they get less than they deserve, they're very angry. And if they're very proud, they never get more than they deserve. (laughs) And they're never happy. So the higher your level of pride the lower your level of happiness. that makes sense to everybody? You can't enjoy something you think you deserve. What to speak of something that's less than you deserve? You just can't. Like this girl telling me, I've lost everything. What did that mean? That means she thought she deserved everything. She thought she deserved a home and food and a family and a healthy body and a wonderful husband. And if she was missing any one of those things, then her whole life was miserable. Do you follow she, she didn't have the capacity to be grateful for what she had. She just wasn't there. So as long as you're proud, as long as we're proud, we cannot be satisfied. And to whatever extent we're proud, to that extent we can't be satisfied. And when you're envious, you can't be satisfied because there's always somebody who has more than we do. Ultimately, Krishna has more than we do. And a lot of people under Krishna have more than we do because we're on the lowest of the middle planets. Prabhupada said this is the very lowest of the middle planets. It's like we just made it into middle class, you know. <laughs> just got out of poverty in the middle class, just crossed the railroad tracks. You know, so there's a whole lot of living entities who have more than we have. And even probably on this planet. I mean, there's so many people on this planet who are more beautiful than I am, who are more wealthy than I am, who are more strong than I am, who are more knowledgeable than I am, who are more renounced than I am. A whole lot of people. We were talking about renunciation, right? And sannyasi who travels just with one little tiny bag. I can't do that. I can't get my bag any smaller. I've tried and tried and tried. You know, I've kind of reached the limit of smallness. So there's always someone who has some opulence greater than we are. Therefore, if we're envious, we can't be satisfied. And this pride and this envy prevents us from feeling that we're connected with Krishna and getting real satisfaction. It blocks us. So this is something we have to voluntarily let go of. Material desires will automatically go when we're filled with Krishna. You don't have to get rid of material desires separately. In fact, you can't. You can't. Prabhupada says over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, you can't kill desires. That is just not possible. You can get spiritual desires that drive out the material desires, but you can't kill desires and be empty. That's Buddhist philosophy. That is not Vaishnava philosophy. Those demons are automatically killed by Krishna. But... This we have to do ourselves. Now, how do we do this ourselves? Now, in a sense, we're not doing it entirely ourselves because still Balaram's killing these demons. So we're really doing this by the grace of Guru. 
So how do we do this? By following, is interestingly enough, by following the process of Krishna consciousness, by chanting, as Narada Muni is doing, for ourselves and for others' benefit, as Prabhupada says here, according to our personal capacity to distribute the message for others' benefit, then we will see our pride and our envy clearly. Most materialistic people do not have a clue that they're proud and envious. Most materialistic people, if you say to them, you're really proud and envious, they say, I am not. Isn't that correct? And before coming to Krishna consciousness, unless any of you were born into Krishna consciousness, I'm sure we didn't know that we had pride and envy either. Maybe a little bit sometimes, but generally we thought, you know, I'm just a nice person. So as we become filled with Krishna, as we get close to Krishna, we start to see this pride and envy for what it is. And we have to voluntarily let it go. We have to voluntarily let it go. We have to want to let it go. I was just reading now. Where was I reading it? I made a note that I was going to make a note of it. And I didn't. I think every time I read that, I make a note that I'm going to make a note of it. And I haven't made a note of it yet. And Prabhupada says, if we don't want to clear the dust from the heart, if we want to keep things as they are, that we can't make progress. Prabhupada's calling it dust. I call it a plug in this in the spring. You know, it's just, it's just, we've got this God-shaped vacuum in our heart and there's a spring feeding into it and we plugged it with this pride and envy. And if we don't want to get rid of it, frankly, you can go on superficially chanting Hare Krishna and superficially, mechanically, like uh, one lecture Prabhupada said, if you just mechanically chant Hare Krishna and think about other things, you won't make any progress or it will be extremely slow. He said, what is the use of your reading Krishna book if you can't think of Krishna's pastimes while you're chanting? So if we don't want to get, if we don't want to get rid of this pride and envy, if we want to hold on to this pride and envy, then even our engagement in Krishna consciousness, what, what will happen is it will become very superficial. It will become like some kind of ritual, uh, some sort of, as Prabhupada said, mechanical, become something empty, and it will be very, 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 very slow or, or no progress. So if we want to find satisfaction, we have to do both these things. We have to do the positive and the negative. We have to remove, we have to, well, we have, really, Krishna removes it, but we have to want to remove this pride and envy from our heart. We have to want to clear the dust from the heart. We have to not be satisfied with things as they are. We have to become really disgusted with this pride and envy. And we have to become attracted to being humble and non-envious. You know, usually if we meditate on the Trinata Peevers, we become scared rather than attracted. Oh my God, I've got to be lower than the grass, and I've got to be more tolerant than a tree, and I've got to respect everybody without wanting any honor for myself. Why, that would be horrible. Right, and we, we, we kind of, we give lip service to it. We say, yes, yes, I want to be humble. No, I don't really want to be humble. We have to become very attracted to this humility and this non-enviousness so that we can, we can look at it clearly and say, I don't want this anymore, it's killing me. It's destroying me. It's making it so I can't feel Krishna's presence and let go of it. And then on the positive side, we're not interested in just letting go of the pride and envy and, and, and being, you know, we want to become full with Krishna. We want to become full with, with Krishna's pastimes. In fact, the reason we get rid of the pride and envy ultimately should be not because it's making us suffer so much, which it is, but because only by getting rid of the pride and envy can I really feel connected with Krishna. And I want to become connected with Krishna. It's kind of like I'm hearing the spring on the other side of the plug, you know. 
I'm like, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. So in the beginning of, of Krishna, until Nista, until Nista, you're kind of just hearing the spring on the other side of the plug, and sometimes a little trickle of water kind of comes through the... You're right. Sometimes you, you kind of sort of loosen the pride and envy a little bit, and a little bit of water comes through into the heart. You're like, whoa, is that nice or what? Right? And desiring it enough, desiring it enough, that we say, okay, Krishna, let's take the plug out. And then the heart becomes full with Krishna. That's nista, when the heart starts to really full, full with Krishna. Prabhupada says, until nista is a hard struggle with determination. Why? Because your heart's empty. <laughs> There's a little trickle of water here and there. But once the plug is, is removed, Prabhupada says, well, then 50% of the inert is removed, Prabhupada says. Once this plug of envy and pride is removed, then the heart starts to fill with Krishna. And then what is the question of material desires? Whatever material desires remain, you know they're going to be flooded out. <laughs> You don't even worry about them anymore. They're, they're, they're inconsequential. And then here, like Narada Muni, he's free. Ignoring, this is the last thing here that we haven't talked about yet, ignoring all the formalities of the material world. Why? Because he's free. That's what we want, Prabhupada also says here in the first canto, in this section, that the need of the soul is for freedom. What's tying us up is our own pride and envy. That's our chains. We, we've manufactured them. Not anybody else to blame for them. So once we're connected with Krishna, once we feel connected with Krishna, once we're overflooded with Krishna, then we're free. We're no longer under the formalities of the material world. We're no longer under the laws of material nature. We're no longer pushed around by illusion, pushed around by our senses. So, shall we do it? Shall we go for sat- real satisfaction? At a certain point, at a certain point of hearing that spring under the plug, and at a certain point of feeling really miserable being empty, and at a certain point of every once in a while getting those little, little rivulets that come out from under the plug, we finally get the courage to say, okay, Krishna, let's take out the plug. Let me practice freedom from pride and envy. It's something that one can practice. If somebody criticizes me, I'll just smile. If somebody has more than me, I'll be joyful. Right? Here we see Narada. He's, he's taking this joy. He's giving it to everybody. He's not saying, well, now I'm Krishna conscious. I'm better than everybody else. Let everybody else become Krishna conscious. To practice feeling joy at others' opulences. If someone has more material opulence than me, wonderful. You're a more pious person than me. All glories to you. If someone has more spiritual opulences than me, joy. Practice that joy. If someone gives me respect, give it to Krishna. (laughs) What can I be respected for? If somebody blames me, who cares? What is this honor and dishonor? One devotee wrote me the other day, he said, oh, someone's posted this thing criticizing you and me, saying all these nasty things about you and all these nasty things about me. What should I do? I said, ignore it. He said, but then they're speaking lies. I said, who cares? I said, anyway, these people aren't going to listen to you. If you tell them the truth, they're not, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to change their opinion. I said, well, anyway, what is this honor and dishonor? Honor, dishonor, fame and infamy, praise and blame in our eight billionths of a second life by the universal time, our life lasts for eight billionths of a second. For Lord Brahma's day. 
Who cares if in eight billionths of a second, one puny little person for a tiny, tiny fraction of that eight billionths of a second says, you're a rascal. Who cares? What does it matter? It's just, it's not even noticeable. And I am a rascal, so what is the problem? Even if I'm not a rascal in that way that you said, I'm a rascal in so many ways. Yes? How do I know I'm a rascal? I have a material body. That's the evidence. Yes? I'm wearing a prison uniform. That's what this is. It's a prison uniform. <laughs> so I must be a criminal. <laughs> oh, what is the question? Why, why, why do we have to be some big person in the illusion? So silly. So silly. Like these guys playing these computer games. You know, have you ever seen kids playing computer games? They're trying to become the master of the computer game. How ridiculous. What is a computer game? A bunch of ones and zeros. You know that, right? Programming languages, it's all just ones and zeros? Or it's just some metal and plastic, or it's just some, you know, electricity. I'm the master of ones and zeros. Well, who cares? Well, this whole material world is like that. I'm the master of the protons, neutrons, and electrons that for a few moments combine in their different names and forms. And so we can practice meditating like this. Who cares? Let Krishna be glorified. Let the great devotees be glorified. Why do I need to be glorified? Robert says, humility is not being anxious to have the satisfaction of being honored by others. Let me have the satisfaction of Krishna being honored. Let me take joy in others' accomplishments. Then, as soon as we practice that, that plug starts to get loosened, huh? Starts to get loosened. More and more of the real nectar of Krishna's name, form, qualities, and pastimes. That's what it said. Kirtaniya Siddhahari. So as this, this envy and pride get loosened, then we can always be absorbed in Krishna. And then the spring is filling our heart, and then everything else is finished. Then finish. Then we're done. Then we're free. It's all we have to do. It's not really that hard. It's not that complicated. It's it's not some big. It's not some big complicated ritual. Like Prabhupada said, they don't take the simple thing. You know, they want to do this. People want to do this. If you tell them it's this, they, oh, it's too simple. But it's just that simple. Become attracted to Krishna's name, form, qualities, and pastimes, such that we desire to get rid. We then desire. I want to be filled with Krishna's name, form, qualities, and pastimes. In order to be filled with Krishna's name, form, qualities, and pastimes, I'm willing to let go of this pride and envy that are killing me anyway. That's all. And then we actually become filled, and then we become satisfied. So, as Prabhupada says here, the life of a sincere devotee of the Lord is thus explained in a nutshell by Narada Muni. So we have a lot of verses like that, a lot of purports like that, where all of Krishna consciousness is there in just, how many sentences do we have? One, three sentences. So in these three sentences, Thus I began chanting the holy name and fame of the Lord by repeated recitation, ignoring all the formalities of the material world. Such chanting and remembering of the transcendental pastimes of the Lord are benedictory. So doing, I traveled all over the earth, fully satisfied, humble, and unenvious. So that's it. That's the whole process of Krishna consciousness. Right there, in three sentences. Wouldn't that be nice if our hearts were just filled and overflowing with Krishna and we were fully satisfied? but not bored, full of variety.
I'm fully satisfied. So questions, comments, corrections, additions, subtractions. Might as well ask for them, you know, get them, get them anyway. Yes? Why is the body more powerful? Yes. It's not. Krishna says that the senses are superior to dull matter, the mind is superior to the senses, intelligence is superior to the mind, and the soul is superior to the intelligence. It's not. Why does it seem like that? Because sometimes people even commit suicide because, hey, I want that. that yes. That, that I want that. I want that girl. I can't get it. What? They don't do that. Well, it's, it, it's not like that. But what you're dealing with, with lust, especially sexual desire, lust can also apply to wanting anything great in this world, but especially sexual desire. What we're dealing with there is the ultimate manifestation of our envy of Krishna. Because I said, what are we envious of? We're envious that Krishna has Lakshmi, he has Radharani. We're envious that Krishna has all the opulences, yes? Right? Yes. And that Krishna has the enjoyment. You see, we're meant, this is a whole other seminar like another hour, hour and a half. I have a whole multimedia presentation on this. So I don't think I can answer this in just a couple minutes. But the, the crux of it is that Prabhupada says many, many times that our original sexuality is part of the soul. It says in Bhagavatam 5.25.5 that spiritual bodies have sexual feelings in them. And especially in Majjah 8.138, Prabhupada talks about that the desire for sexual pleasure is there both in the Lord and the living entities. He says it many, 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 many places. So what is this, when we talk about spiritual ecstasy, when we talk about, that's what we're talking about, frankly. That's what we're talking about. When we talk about the ecstasy of love of God, we're talking about the original form of sexual pleasure. Robert says in, in Majjalila 8, 138, that in this world, sexual pleasure is very temporary. And it's, it's really revolting. I knew one... Uh, one couple who've had a celibate marriage. And I said to them, so why have you decided not to have children? And the husband said, well, we decided we didn't need to express our love through secretions. Actually, it would have been nice if they would have had children. They're very qualified people. But anyway, the material sex desire is, is repulsive. Of course, if you use in Krishna's service, that's another thing. And it only lasts for a moment. But Prabhupada said, spiritual sexuality, it goes on eternally, and it keeps getting better and better and better, and it's real. So how does the jiva enjoy sexual, spiritual sexual pleasure? Do you know how we enjoy spiritual sexual pleasure? Through uniting Krishna with his pleasure energy. The jiva is meant to enjoy indirectly. That's how we're meant to enjoy. We're not meant to enjoy directly. Just like the hand enjoys food indirectly. Prabhupada gives this example a gazillion times, Yes? That the hand enjoys food indirectly. Does the hand enjoy the food? Yes. Doesn't your hand enjoy the food you eat? Of course it does. Your hand doesn't enjoy the food you eat. How does it survive? Whatever pleasure you're getting from your hands is because of the food you eat. You can't get any pleasure from your hands if you don't if you don't eat. The pleasure you're getting from your eyes is also the food you eat. Correct? You get any pleasure from your eyes if you're not eating? It wouldn't function. But just like Prabhupada told us in 76, he said, if you, if you put good food in your stomach, you have good eyesight. If you put the food in your eyes, you become blind. Prabhupada told that directly to my father in 1976. 
the eyes are meant to enjoy the food indirectly. When I see a nice arrangement of food, my eyes see that food. But my eyes are enjoying the nourishment of the food indirectly, not directly. If they try to enjoy it directly, they just suffer. So the way the soul enjoys the original sexual, spiritual sexual pleasure is by pleasing Krishna. And how do you please Krishna? Pleasing Krishna means you unite Krishna with his energy of pleasure. Anything you do to please Krishna unites him with his energy of pleasure, who is Radharani or Sita or Lakshmi. Do you follow that? Do you, do you get that? We have a little bit of that idea. Just like if you go to a, a friend's wedding, you're enjoying, on a, on a subtle level, their romantic love for each other, aren't you? Isn't that what you're enjoying? And they want to share that with you. When most people get married, they want guests. Some people just go off and get married. But most people, they want, they want to share that happiness with their friends. Am I correct? And what are you sharing? That's what you're sharing. Or Prabhupada says the philanthropy, charity, family service, national service is a little reflection of this. That I have some idea that if I make my family happy, I'll be happy. If I make my child happy, I'll be happy. That I'll be happy indirectly. I'll be happy vicariously. We have some idea of this. And we, we all experience this. We all experience that if you take 100 rand and you spend it on yourself and you take that same 100 rand and you spend it on someone you love, you can feel happier by spending it on someone you love than by spending it on yourself. Don't we all have this experience? That I can get greater happiness vicariously and indirectly than I can directly. That's our nature. Now, by the way, it happens also to be Krishna's nature. Who is the biggest giver? It would have to be Krishna's nature because I'm part of Krishna. It's not that we're all givers and Krishna's the big taker. It's not that he's the big enjoyer. <laughs> sucking all the enjoyment out of us and we're just left. <laughs> that I'm the enjoyed, therefore I don't get any pleasure. Krishna's pleasure is in making his parts and parcels happy. And the parts and parcels are, get pleasure from making Krishna's happy. This is explained in Chaitanya Charitamrita. The gopis feel a hundred times more pleasure when Radharani is with Krishna. Radharani feels ten million times more pleasure when the other gopis are with Krishna. And when Krishna sees that the gopis want the happiness of each other, he becomes very happy. Krishna's happiness is in pleasing Mother, Mother Yasoda and in pleasing the cows and in pleasing... Krishna's even trying to please us in this material world. Do you really need 40 kinds of mangoes? And do you really need mangoes and papayas and apples and bananas and pineapples? Do you really need that? Why is Krishna giving you that? He loves you and wants to please you. You don't need that. Do we do that in the jails for our prisoners in the jails? Do we give the prisoners in the jail mangoes and pineapples? Probably not. Do we give them flowers? You ever heard of any government giving flowers to the prisoners? We're prisoners, folks. Krishna's given us flowers. He wants us to be happy. Krishna even wants us to be materially prosperous. Third chapter, by this sacrifice, you'll get all happiness, right? For living happily in the material world and achieving liberation. So Krishna's a giver. Krishna's the biggest taker, but he's also the biggest giver. If I give everything to Krishna and he gives everything to me, who gets more? <laughs> right? So that's how we enjoy original se sexual, spiritual sexual pleasure. We give everything to Krishna and then he gives everything to us. That's how it works. So envy is, I want to enjoy directly. I don't want to enjoy through Krishna's enjoyment. I want to enjoy directly. That's envy. That's the whole problem. Instead of being Hanuman, who unites Sita and Ram and thereby gets pleasure, 
we want to be Ravana who steals Sita from Ram. You follow? And whether we play that game pretending we're Sita or whether we play that game pretending we're Ram, that's the game we're playing. I want, I want to enjoy Sita. I want to enjoy Sita as my wife or girlfriend or I want to enjoy Sita by being Sita. Try it different ways, different lifetimes. I'm sure all of us here have been both male and female in this world. And, and our, that, our desire there, like that, that is lust. Lust is, I want to take Krishna's energy and enjoy it separately. If you go to your parents' house and you say, I'm going to steal their things and enjoy it separately. Or, I'm going to enjoy my parents' opulence as part of the family. Right? If your parents have beautiful furniture and and nice food and you go to your parents' house, you enjoy the furniture and nice food too. But if you steal the furniture and nice food, you know, I'm going to take it to my own house and enjoy it. So that's why the sexual lust is so powerful. Because it, it is... It is the way in which we, the soul, relate to Krishna and enjoy, but it's been twisted. It's really the most powerful thing. It's love of God that's been twisted. So you cannot kill it. Please don't try to kill material sex desire. You will fail. You cannot kill it. You cannot repress it. You cannot kill it. You will fail. It's part of the soul. It's something eternal. It's intrinsic to us. If you try to kill it, you'll have three results you'll temporarily suppress it and then it will explode and when it explodes it will explode in usually a very nasty way so if you repress, 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 repress and it explodes and instead of just getting married and having babies you go see prostitutes in Thailand you follow? you understand? not that there's only prostitutes in Thailand you get my point so that's if you, you know, repress, repress, repress explode or or you repress, repress, and it turns into anger. Anger is the younger brother of us. And anger is one of the rustas, by the way. There's, there's a certain kind of, of pleasure in anger. So instead of taking your pleasure in lust, you take your pleasure in anger. We see both these things happening in our Hare Krishna movement. We see them happening a lot. People who repress, 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 and then have some fall down into something that's not even moral. And that's not even moral for a materialistic person. Or people who are angry. They're angry at the GBC. They're angry at the general presidents. They're angry at all the devotees. They're angry at everybody. They're just angry. And they think they're very Krishna conscious by being angry all the time. Have we seen devotees like this? People can stay like this for decades. They start, they're enjoying the, the material anger rasa. The third thing which doesn't stay is you become hard-hearted. If you're really, really successful at trying to kill your sexual desires, you become like a rock. Because sexual desires are a manifestation of the original prima of the soul. So you become like a rock. So we see this happen to devotees too. They just become hard-hearted. Just... They're not angry. They're just nothing. They just don't feel anything. I saw this happen with one of my god sisters. And she became hard For many, many years she was just very, very hard-hearted. And then she had some embarrassing fall-down. Because you can't stay hard-hearted because we're souls. So you can, you can be hard-hearted for a long time, 10, 20, 30 years, and then eventually it will morph into anger or fall down. And some people cycle. Hard-hearted, 
fall down, anger, hard-hearted, fall down, anger, hard-hearted. Some people go through all three. So that's not the solution. The solution is that you have to, again, love Krishna. You have to untwist it. You know, if your arm's broken, you don't chop off your arm. You fix it. So that's our philosophy is fix it, turn it back into what it is. Give Sita back to Ram and enjoy that Sita is with Ram. And even that is very powerful. So just like in this world, people are controlled by lust, and lust seems much more powerful than we are. So once you're controlled by love, love is more powerful than we are too. Isn't that nice? If we, were, if we could be swept along by love of God, the way people get swept along by lust, factually it's more powerful. To give ourselves completely, just like people give themselves completely to lust and ruin their lives, huh? There'll be some big business person, big politician, and they have some affair, and they don't they do that? So those who are spiritually advanced, they give some, themselves to love, and they ruin their all their attempts for pride and envy in the world. They completely give themselves to love. Become they become crazy in love, isn't it? Become mad, mad in love. So that's what we need to do. We need to transform it into love. And while we're transforming it into love, because that transformation generally takes place gradually, Prabhupada says gradual and proportional. So then we have to engage that remaining lust in service. You cannot kill it. If you try to kill it, it won't work. You can't kill it. Prabhupada says it's part of the soul. You cannot kill it. So you have to engage it in service. You have to either bring it up or down. So for most people, during the strong, youthful time of life, they bring it down. They make babies. And they make wealth for society. They use that energy for creating wealth and good population in society. Most people, somewhere between the ages of 15 and 55, need to use the energy in that way. Well over 90%. And use it in Krishna's service. Make nice babies for Krishna and create great wealth for Krishna. That makes sense to everybody? you got to do something with it. You can't kill it. And the other way you bring it up, bring the energy up to the brain. You use it for study, use it of the Shastra, you use it for preaching. So instead of making babies, you make de- devotees. Seriously. Instead of making wealth of a career, you make wealth of knowledge. You use that, but you're using the same energy. Now, you're not using a different energy. Don't think that renunciates have killed their sexual desire. You can't kill it, it's impossible. So to be a solid renunciate, you have to take that energy and use it. Prabhupada says the Brahmacharya brings it to the brain. So most people can do that when they're very young and then after they've been through household life. Some people can do it their whole life. So you transform it back into its original energy and while you're transforming it, you use it. Use the material side of it. Do you follow what I'm saying? You've got, right now you've got this, you know, this chunk of lust and you're gradually, it's like, it's like something's twisted and you're gradually untwisting it. So the, the untwisted part is the love and the part that's still twisted, you have to do something with it. So you have to use that in service. You have to use it in yagya. Basically, you have to use it in yoga, and as as long as we keep the link between sex and reproduction, you have to use sex in yoga. There's no alternative. Does that make sense? If you if you don't artificially break the link between sex and babies, then you either have to have babies and take care of them, or you have to abstain and use that energy in another responsible way. It's not possible to use it irresponsibly if you keep the link. I mean, to be happy. Is that all right? It's a long, complicated answer. But it was only like 
10 minutes instead of an hour and a half. But in my hour and a half seminar, I have all these Shastra quotes and pictures, snippets of Prabhupada's lectures and all these cool things, and all these cool analogies and metaphors and stuff like that. So if you didn't believe what I said, because you might not believe me, then I wanted to make sure that that seminar was really packed with, with quotes. So yeah, go for the love. As Prabhupada say, we have to be under the shelter either of Radharani or Durga. We have to be under some shelter. We have to be controlled by something. So if we're tired of being controlled by lust, being controlled by lust is pretty miserable, isn't it? Isn't it miserable? It's really miserable. It's really bad, Master. It's such a bad, Master. So why not be controlled by Radharani? And want to make Krishna happy. And Anandam Bhudivardhanam, Bhaktisanta says Anandam Bhudivardhanam means that although the jiva is finite, it's capable of infinite pleasure. When I feel connected with Krishna and I try to please Krishna, I share in Krishna's infinite pleasure. Krishna is not envious. Envy means I want to have more pleasure than you. Krishna is not envious. Krishna is not envious. When I do give everything to make Krishna happy, Krishna gives everything to make me happy. And my everything is a whole lot smaller than his everything. He is not envious. Anybody else? Is this too heavy or something? Anybody else? Becoming fully satisfied by being full with Krishna ki jai. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Narada Muni ki jai. <laughs>